0: Invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew. We get back to our Matthew study in Matthew chapter 12. In Proverbs 4:23 there's a verse that says, "Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life." It's a very central principle for each one of us as followers of Christ, we should expend the greatest possible diligence in protecting and guarding the condition of our hearts before God. I believe this is a very basic, very fundamental uh, issue that we're going to be looking at this morning. Guarding our hearts, because everything that springs forth from our mouths comes from what is in our hearts. Now, Jesus himself taught us this. Uh, he taught us here in Matthew chapter 12, and he's being confronted by the Pharisees once because uh, his disciples didn't follow the tradition of the Jewish elders by ceremonially washing their hands before they ate. He said, well, I had a mother that always made me wash my hands before I ate too. Well, that's a little bit different here. This is a ceremonial washing It was a uh, a Judaistic uh, tradition that taught that it actually defiled a man before God to eat with unwashed hands. And Jesus responded by turning to the crowd that gathered and saying this. He said in Matthew 15 and verse 10 and 11, Hear and understand, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, that or this defileth a man." Later he would explain to his disciples what he meant by what comes out of the mouth. He went on to say in verse 17, Do not yet understand what, that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast forth or cast out into the draught. And those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. So a man can eat with unwashed hands, and he'll not make him either holier or more defiled before God. It makes no difference to his spiritual standing before God whatsoever. But when a man opens his mouth and sinful things come out, this reveals him to be the sinner from the heart. And when he harbors evil thoughts in his mind, they will eventually expose themselves in what he says. If a person nurses a murderous hatred in his heart toward another person, for example, it will reveal itself in the fact that he calls that man a name or slanders him or gossips about him. If he has theft in his heart, he'll... Um, uh, he'll speak about uh, other people's possessions in such a way that demonstrate covetousness or spirit of materialism. If he entertains adulterous or sexually sinful thoughts in his mind, they'll come out of his mouth in the form of dirty jokes or stories or suggestive or flirty, uh, flirty com- comments. If a man has no real love in his, uh, for the truth in his heart, He'll speak lies, or he'll cover up the truth about himself, or he'll falsely accuse someone else if it will get him what he wants. If a man has hatred for God, as he has revealed himself in the Scriptures to be, then he will make irreverent jokes about God, or he'll speak against his holy character, or he'll profess God to be something that he is not. You see, the heart of a man or a woman is a well, and the mouth is a bucket that draws from that well. It's not enough to clean up the mouth. The mouth cannot draw up anything but what is already in the heart. And that's why we must, with all diligence, guard, keep the heart. From out of our hearts flows all the issues of life, and those issues of life are expressed by what is heard in our mouths. Well, this is demonstrated here in the context of this morning's passage. The Pharisees had just thrown a dreadful and blasphemous accusation at Jesus. He had mercifully cast a demon out of a blind and mute man, and with the result, that man was healed, and now he could see and he could speak. And those who saw it were astonished, and they asked, "'Is not this the Son of David?' But the Pharisees said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. In other words, they saw the power of the Holy Spirit demonstrated through the one who was being presented to them as the Son of God, and yet their hearts were so hardened against him that they attributed his power to cast out demons to the devil himself. And it's important for us to notice that this wasn't the only time they said this about him. Back in chapter 9, in verse 34, in fact, it was a habit of them to interpret His miracles this way. They were persistently attributing His miracles to the power of the devil. And this wasn't because they merely misunderstood Him. It was because they hated Him. And they were resistant to the testimony of the Holy Spirit concerning Him. And when they made this blasphemous accusation, against him they were revealing the profound profoundly hardened condition of their hearts none of them have dared would have dared to argue that the lord did an evil thing in making a blind and mute man speak and see but in spite of his good miracles they so hated him they attributed his good miracles to an evil source and so that brings us to this morning's passage and when he reveals what sort of tree they were proving themselves to be. That's when he came, uh, when we uh, come to his own affirmation of our vital need to guard our own hearts. Our Lord, in what is among the harshest of his sayings in the New Testament, told the Pharisees this. In verse 34, he said, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. I want you to notice here, our Lord teaches us that the condition of the heart is revealed by our words. And so let's begin, first of all, with the problem demonstrated. The problem demonstrated. We see this in verse 34. The Pharisees were making an evaluation. They see the good things that our Lord did, and they are saying something about it, but he challenged them by saying, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. They could not have declared an accurate or true evaluation of Him. They could in no way speak good things about our Lord. The problem for them was that good things cannot be spoken by people who are fundamentally evil at heart. And look at how he evaluates them. He calls them a generation of vipers. Now the word translated generation basically means offspring. It speaks both of their evil character and of their evil source. They are offspring, the offspring of vipers. Vipers who, as it were, come from vipers. It's the very name that John the Baptist had once called them as well, saying, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come, in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 7. Now this might shock you at first to hear as if our Lord were needlessly just throwing out a cruel insult. But in reality, he's very carefully selecting a name chosen to reveal their character. The word that Jesus uses isn't the ordinary word for snake or serpent. But this is a word that refers specifically to a particularly deadly and poisonous snake. It was a word used to describe a kind of snake that has attached itself to the apostle Paul's arm in Acts chapter 28, leading those who saw it to expect immediate death. The regular word for snake would suggest the idea of cunning or subtleness, subtleness, as when Jesus told his disciples, Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of a wolf's, be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves, back in chapter 10. But this particular word would suggest the idea of extreme danger and deadliness. Later on in in this gospel, Jesus will use both words to describe the Pharisees. He says in chapter 23, Ye serpents, that's the cunning, subtle kind. Ye generation of vipers, that's the deadly, dangerous kind. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? But here when Jesus calls them vipers, he's highlighting their deadly, dangerous character in terms of their actions. Genesis chapter, tw- or excuse me, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 14 tells us that they were already meeting together to plot out how to kill him. And later Jesus would point out that their teaching itself was dangerous, that they were blind, leading the blind. And their doctrine is leaven and the disciples were to take heed and beware of it. I think that this is intended to underscore the danger of what is coming out of their mouths... At the same time, Jesus was performing miracles before a people in the power of the Holy Spirit, and many people were beginning to believe him, but the Pharisees who were jealous of him had already committed themselves to killing him. They dared to attribute his miracles to his to the devil in effort to dissuade the people from believing on him. Yet they say they themselves had an outward appearance of being holy and pious. Like poisonous snakes, they look beautiful to the eye, but they are deceivingly deadly. So what darkness and wickedness of the heart these words reveal them to be. You would not have been able to tell by looking at the Pharisees, but you can tell by hearing what they say. Paul spoke in Romans chapter 3 of the deep and hidden sinfulness in the hearts of men. He said there, their throat is an open sepulcher, and their tongues, they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips. Romans 3.13. And you notice that Jesus not only refers to the Pharisees as vipers, but a generation of vipers. They were vipers who came from a family of vipers. Jesus would later say of them, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the Uh, Prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous, and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto them, that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. God had sent prophets to their fathers in centuries past, and these prophets came to tell them that the Messiah... Uh, of the Messiah that God God would later send to them. Yet here they were, the sons of those who killed the prophets, now about to kill one of them of whom the prophets prophesied. They were truly a generation of vipers. Now all of this was meant to show that these Pharisees said what they said about Jesus because they were evil at heart. What came out of their mouths was simply drawn from the well of sin that was within them. And so Jesus says, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? They could not speak anything else but evil. It's impossible for them to do otherwise. For out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The problem that was here is being demonstrated. Then notice the principle taught. The principle. In verse 35, we find the principle. Is it, it is, excuse me, the, it is, the mouth cannot help but speak from the, what is in the heart. <coughs> the lips reveal externally what man is, made of internally. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. Now look how Jesus explained this principle. He said, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth good things. Deep in a man is a treasure store or a depository. Each one of us has it. We have a treasure or a place where we deposit that which uh, we take in. It's filled with the things that we think about. It's filled with the things that we treasure and we value. It's the things that we fundamentally believe and we hope for and we love. And if a man who is right with God... And is in his favor, if he's a man who has confessed his sins and sought the mercy of God through Jesus Christ, if he is a man indwelt and empowered by the Holy Spirit and is taught of God's word, then he is a good man and who has good treasure within. You know, I think it's wise to ask ourselves when I get rattled and shaken, and you know what happens every once in a while? We do get rattled and shaken. Something happens to kind of shake us up. Some kind of uh, something that's said or something that's done. And I think it's good for us to ask ourselves, when I, that happens to me, what comes spilling out? When I'm in a time of trial and testing and the pressure is deep in my inner being, what comes out of me? Now, to be sure, I'm not perfect, but I'm and I'm still growing. But do I tend to count it all joy when I fall into various trials, like James did in verse, uh, James chapter one, knowing that the testing of my faith produces good, God's good work in my life? Or when I feel the strain of temptation, do I find myself calling out to God to help me in turn uh, to turn from the temptation and sin, knowing that God is faithful? who will not allow me to be attempted above and beyond that which is able, I am able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that I may be able to bear it. When someone does something evil to me, when someone curses me or persecutes me or wrongfully uses me, do I love my enemies? Do I bless them? Do I do good to them? Do I pray for them? How about those times when I blow it? How about those times when I fall? How about those times when something comes out of my mouth that is sinful and wicked? And that's bound to happen because we all still struggle with the sin that's within us. What happens? Do I confess it before my Father? Do I accept my fault and admit my sin? Do I go back to those whom I've injured or those who saw my failure and ask them forgiveness? Do I seek to make things right? What do I do after I blow it? Well, what, after I, what I do after I blow it reveals what's in my heart. Does what I do at those times reveal what comes out of my mouth? And is, is it really that which is fundamentally from a good treasure? Or is that treasure filled with evil and sin and wrong thinking. When I think of my salvation, do I praise God for it? Do I thank Him for His daily blessings? Do I pray about my needs? Do I quote His Word? Do I encourage and edify others? Do I thank them for the ways God has used them in my life? Do I seek to tell others about Him? Do I use my mouth for high purposes of God's glory? Jesus says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. Now I want you to ask yourself this this morning. Does my mouth bring forth good things and prove that they're drawing from a good treasure of my heart? When I get rattled and shaken from within, what comes pouring out? Jesus already has taught us, you can tell a tree by its fruit. Because good fruit only comes from a good tree. If someone were to walk along behind you and listen to the words that you say, what kind of tree would you prove to be? What kind of heart does your mouth reveal you to be within yourself? What kind of treasure is deep within? You know, it's a very good thing to test ourselves in this because Jesus warns us that. The opposite is true here. He says, an evil man out of an evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. What is it that comes pouring out of us when God tests us or allows us to be poked? When someone wrongs us and hurts us, do we curse them and do we snap at them? Do we complain against God for the troubles and the difficulties of life? And when the disappointments occur, do we express bitterness toward Him because of it? And you know what? It doesn't have to just be our words. There's what we call uh, unspoken communication. It may be a facial expression, maybe a rolling of the eyes that communicates bitterness within. What kinds of things do you talk about when you're relaxed and maybe just with your friends or maybe your family? You know, the Bible is very honest about sin. It warns us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 3. It says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, Hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God? Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Be honest. Do you use your words to criticize and to judge others? Do you belittle others with put downs and humorous remarks? Do you gossip or slander others? Do you make jokes about sacred things? Do you use the name of the Lord Jesus as a curse word? Are there only times, uh, are there only times your children hear the, uh, of God the times when you use His name in vain? What is the pattern of your words? What kind of heart do they reveal? I suggest that we be brutally honest with ourselves about this. I suggest that we not let up on ourselves. We must know and admit the full truth about ourselves. If the pattern of our, of our speech is evil, that reveals an evil heart. The mouth pulls up nothing from the well except that's what's truly there. And we must go back and examine whether or not our words reveal that we are truly what we think we are. 2 Corinthians 13.5 says, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your your own selves, but that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. So there's a motivation in our passage, I believe this morning, to examine ourselves, to prove ourselves. That leads us to another aspect here, and that's the promise of, given the promise given we find it in verse 36 and 37 in verse 36 and verse 37 there that we read it's a warning from the lord it's a very serious it's a very sober warning it's the promise from the lips of jesus christ himself who himself is the judge of the world and that all people should give an account to God for every idle word. Jesus says in verse 36, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give an account thereof in the day of judgment. Now the word translated idle here means barren or useless. The word translated word, in this case, is not the word logos, which suggests a reasoned statement. But it's the word rima, which means it's just a casual utterance. And so this then would be a careless or a thoughtless utterance of, for which someone might say, oh, I didn't mean what I said. I was just kidding. Don't take me seriously. We say that a lot, don't we? Oh, I really didn't mean that. Jesus warns us that he takes such careless or idle words very seriously. There's a good reason why. Such words tend to indicate what is in our hearts more truthfully than a carefully thought out and prepared set of words would ever be. Suppose, for instance, I asked, was asked to present a matter before a person of authority, or some kind of uh, judiciary uh, panel or committee, someone of importance. And even though I didn't respect the person or persons on that particular group or that panel, I would still work to prepare my case thoughtfully and I would carefully craft my words as to present the best possible face and make the most positive impact that I could. But suppose on the way to that presentation a friend would ask me what I thought of the person or that panel, the people on that committee, and I might be more inclined in a very careless mood to be a bit flippant. I might say some things that are sarcastic or belittling or disrespectful. And if those words were to be overheard, I would then be made to give an account of them before that person or committee. I might try to defend myself. Oh, but I was just talking casually. I didn't really mean that, what, what I said. But no matter what kind of defense I made, the fact would be that those careless words actually revealed what I thought in my heart. You see, Jesus, Jesus is letting us, uh, even the in the idle, careless words we speak of Him, or uh, speak are heard of, by Him, He's letting us know that these careless words, these idle words, are being heard by him. James 5 and verse 9 says, Grudge not thy, uh, one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth at the door. He is declaring well in advance that people will be required to give an account for every word they speak on the great day of judgment, even the idle words. You know, Our words prove what is in our hearts. This is why Jesus then says, For by thy words shalt thou be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. He who will judge our words will also prove to be the one who knows the true condition of our hearts. And it will be our words that will, on that great and important day, stand as evidence, the true nature of our hearts. How important then that we follow the counsel of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, and to keep our hearts with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And that leads us to a final consideration here this morning, and that is the practice implied here. The practice implied. We must now, while we can, guard the condition of our hearts. Because out of the heart uh, flows the issues of life. Let me suggest some ways that we can do this. And as a matter of first importance, I think we need to be sure of our salvation. Be sure of your salvation. Let's be sure we have trusted Jesus as our Savior, been washed of our sins. The point of this passage is not merely that we seek reform of a dirty mouth. Jesus isn't just saying, clean up your act here. He's not saying, do better. Now that should happen, but that's not what needs to happen first. You see, if the well itself is dirty, it doesn't do any good to clean the bucket. You take a clean bucket and you dip it down to a dirty well, you're going to get dirty water no matter how clean the bucket is. And if the heart itself is still evil, it doesn't do any good to just try to clean up your mouth. And some people have tried to do that. Maybe you've experienced that as a Christian. I've experienced it. Oh, I didn't know one teacher said in, in the college I went to. I didn't know I had a pre-seminary student in my class. I'm going to have to watch what I say. Doesn't do any good to clean up the mouth if his heart is evil. The promise of God's Word is that if there, if, therefore if any man be in Christ, is a new creature. Behold, all things are uh, become new. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. If we come to Christ confessing that we are sinners, we need to be saved, and placing our trust in the cleansing power of of His blood, then He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let's be sure that we first trust in Him, and then our heart, the wellspring of our words, will be clean. Secondly, we need to allow God to search our hearts. Allow God to search your heart. If If it's true that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaketh, then we must ask God regularly to search our hearts and to rid us of that which remains of our old life. No doubt you've heard people testify that before they were saved, they lived a very terrible life, an evil life. They had a filthy mouth, perhaps. Maybe that could be your testimony. Before you got saved... you. You used to curse a lot and use God's name in vain. Maybe you told a lot of dirty stories and used a lot of profane words. It was how you try to get by as a sinner, as an unbeliever. But then you become a Christian. And maybe it took some time to stop swearing. And every time you swore or uttered filth, it broke your heart that you would still so dishonor your Savior. And you would then confess your sin and you would ask God to forgive you. And trusting God's Word, you knew that God would do that. He said He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And so progressively God removed from your heart the residue of the old life of sin, and so your mouth was becoming more and more available for His service. And that's what each one of us must do. The Bible says there's not a word on my tongue, but the Lord knows it altogether, Psalm 139.4. He even knows my thoughts afar off in that same psalm. I can admit the truth to Him. I can turn to Him and say, Search me, O God. And know my heart, try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me to the, in the way of understanding, in the way under everlasting. Allow God to search your heart. And then thirdly, confess weakness and ask God for strength. Ask God for strength. James warns us that there's a potential of great harm in our words He says in James chapter 3, verse 6, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beast, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an evil, unruly evil, full of deadly poison. It's as if we are walking around with a dangerous, untamed animal in our mouths. Someone said, if you want to tame an animal, you must bring the animal to, to man. But if you want to tame the man, you must bring the man to God. Man is the proper tamer of animals, but God is the proper tamer of our tongues. Let's be sure, then, we yield ourselves to God that He might tame our tongues. And then, fourthly, situate right thinking into your hearts. Or we could use the word saturate your hearts with right thinking. You can say it either way, but situate right thinking into your hearts. In other words, let's make sure that what we put into our hearts is what we want to have coming out of our mouth. Paul said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And if we would have good things come out, then we must be sure that we're putting good things in. Philippians 4, verse 8 says, Finally, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. The more truth of God's holy word we put in, the more we will be pushing the evil out. And when that mouth, that bucket reaches down into the treasure of your heart, out will, comes good words, not evil words. And then finally, sanctify your tongue to God's good prop- purposes. Sanctify our tongue to God's good purposes. I think the danger of the tongue may tempt us at times to cut it out. The potential for sin from our lips may tempt us to superglue them shut. But God has given us our lips. God has given us a tongue to use for His glory and for His use. The mouth that is dedicated, that is set apart to God that draws its speech from a heart that has been cleansed by him, is a powerful force for good in this world. The prophet Isaiah was a man who also had a dirty mouth, and yet God cleansed him. In a vision, an angel touched his lips with the coals taken from the altar, an altar where atonement had been made for his sin. And in Isaiah chapter 6, and verse 6, it says, There then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said, I, here am I, send me. God took Isaiah's sin away. He cleansed his lips. And then he put those lips to service as his mouthpiece to the nation of Israel. And likewise, we need to give ourselves to Jesus Christ and present our whole bodies as a living sacrifice to him, dedicating all that we are, including our lips, to his service. And then with a heart cleansed by his blood, never use your lips for the common things again. With our wonderful Savior's help, I trust we will prove to this world that he has placed a good treasure in our hearts. And how are we going to do that? How's the world going to know there's a good treasure in your heart? It's by what comes out here. What comes out of your mouth. Let's bow our heads in prayer this morning.